This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. this episode we're traveling to south dakota with greg cronkite of dakota 283 welcome to the show for episode number 127 Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription today. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA Shotguns, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight, Wing Shooter Elite over and unders. They've got pumps, they've got semi-autos. CZ USA has a shotgun for you. Head over to cz-usa.com to learn more. And by Gumleaf USA, high-quality, handcrafted, premium rubber boots that stand the test of time. Air cushion Vibram soles, natural gum rubber, insulated or uninsulated gumleaf's got a pair of boots for you they keep my feet dry warm and comfortable head over to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code pup10 to save 10 percent on your next pair of boots and by doctor callers for over 30 years doctor has collaborated with industry professionals to create class leading tools for e-collar training gps tracking and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs learn more at doctor.com And by Electronic Shooters Protection, custom-molded, custom-fit, electronic hearing protection. Lets you hear what you want to hear in the field and blocks out everything you don't. ESP uses some of the most advanced technology in electronic hearing protection and enhancement. And you can learn more and get yourself a pair at ESPAmerica.com. 
and by Sage and Breaker, makers of gun cleaning products that protect legacies. The legacy of your firearm, the legacy of the sport, and the legacy of passing both down to future generations. Sage and Breaker lives, breathes, and makes everything at the highest caliber possible, and they're proud to pass that caliber of craftsmanship on to you. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. And by Trinity Kennels, home of the Epignol Breton, French Brittany Spaniels from Champion Bloodlines, field-tested and family-approved for over 30 years. Learn more about Trinity Kennels by checking out Project Upland Podcast number 88 or by visiting trinitykennels.org. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels, business owned and operated by our guest today, Greg Cronkite, unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomole design kennels with a framed steel door and everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. You'll hear more about them on today's episode, and you can check them out later at dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Kendall R. Kendall left us a review on the iTunes podcast app. We thank you for that, Kendall. Project Up and T-shirt headed your way. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can leave us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app like Kendall did, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, send us some feedback or guest suggestion. We do love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, it's Christmas Eve, everybody. I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas from myself and my family. Everybody at Project Upland and Northwoods Collective, thank you for continuing to listen to the Project Upland podcast. We appreciate your support. It's almost a new year, everybody. 2020 is nearing an end, and I hope folks listening to this are spending some time relaxing, spending time with family, and possibly sneaking out for a little holiday upland bird hunt. We're going to jump right into today's episode with Greg Cronkite, owner of Dakota 283 Kennels. I took a trip out to South Dakota in November, spent some time on Greg's farm on my first wild pheasant hunt. We chased some sharp tails, got into some pheasants. Had a generally awesome time, and Greg and I caught up a little bit and recapped some of our hunting trips this year on this episode. So with that in mind, again, I want to wish everybody listening a very Merry Christmas, and let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast of Dakota 283, Greg Cronkite. And welcome back to the Project Upland podcast, Mr. Cronkite. How are you doing today? Doing great, sir. Doing great. It's uh, it's a beautiful day in South Dakota. I'm, uh, uh, I think I, I've told you this previously. It's it's weird for me to to have these kinds of things done early in the morning. I usually save them for afternoons over a cigar <laughs> or something, you know. So, but I've got my coffee ready yeah. to go, and this is great. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Yeah, we're happy to have you back on. I've it had to be maybe over a year ago when we had you on the first time, and we talked a little bit about how you got into bird hunting and kind of the Dakota 283 origin story and some other stuff. But a whole year has gone by, Greg, and it's been quite a year. It's been it's been a weird year, hasn't it? Um, in on a lot of different fronts. I've been trying to take the positives out of it, though. Honestly, um, you know, like this summer, we Jane and I decided to buy an RV. Uh, instead of travel into hotels and whatnot, and um, we ended up getting this 41-foot fifth-wheel RV, and it you know it was a it was a beautiful actual beautiful experience. I kind of went in kicking and screaming, and uh, ended up really liking <laughs> that that whole RV thing. It was really crazy. It was really fun. So we try to take the positives out of all this stuff, you know. Yeah, that was a big deal for a lot of folks. I think RVs, campers, I, I'm pretty sure that market was 
was on fire. I know my parents even, they picked up a, a used camper that we ended up putting at the cabin for kind of an extra bunkhouse. And we kind of decided to go a different direction. So they sold it and they, it was, uh, it was sold pretty quickly. So that was, uh, that market is, is pretty hot right now. And I'm, I'm sure it will continue to be as long as we maintain this uncertainty, but it's December 9th, Greg, and you said it's beautiful out there. What do you got? Blue skies, sunny. Do you have any snow yet? Well, we are. We had one storm in uh, October, but it, it melted off pretty pretty yeah. quick. Um, but now this week has been in the fifties. It's been you know blue skies. Um, now it's been beautiful out here. Actually, almost too nice because when it's nice like this, the birds spread out, and um, you have to you know it, you can't exactly know where they are, which actually kind of makes it fun too. So uh, I am not complaining about the weather whatsoever. And the other thing, the other thing, Nick, I'll tell you, you know, we were talking a little bit about what COVID did to everybody this year. It's allowed me to hunt a ton more because I am not on the road. I am sitting here on the farm, you know, 95% of the time. And I've gotten more hunting in this year than I have in a long, long time. So I'm trying to take some positives out of this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. Actually, I think this year is going to be one of the most days that I've hunted as well. And when I say that, I imagine it's probably a lot like you, especially being as close to birds as you are. You've got them on the property. And, you know, similarly, I can get into birds in, I can get into them in probably 15 to 20 minutes. I like to go farther than that, but I get out for an hour you know, maybe two hours. And especially this time of of the year when the days are really short and I've only got one dog to run. I mean, I only need 60 to 90 minutes to get out. And I've been fortunate to do that because we've been having that same really nice weather pattern, I think. And it looks like the temps are going to drop a little bit, but we don't, we still have some areas that are not fully snow covered and I've been taking full advantage, Greg. Oh, that's yeah, that's great. Well, 15 minutes to cover is a pretty strong, you know, that's almost like owning your own property, Nick. I mean, you know, 15 it, it sometimes takes me 15 minutes to get to parts of my my property here. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> there's not there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So, <laughs> yeah. You don't have you don't have quite the improved road system that I'm cruising on. <laughs> no, yeah, we're, you know, it, it, the one thing that you have to remember out here is you know, to not worry about keeping your truck clean all year because as soon as you clean it up, it's going to be dirty the next the next hour. Uh, there's a lot more dust yeah. and grime out here than you really want. Well, Cronkite Farm is just west. Well, not just west. It's west of the river in South Dakota. And, uh, you know, you've got a website and stuff, so folks can look that up if they wanted to. And you bring some folks in for hunters each year, which, you know, is done for this year. But... The reason I mention that is because we're going to circle back and talk a little bit about pheasant hunting there in South Dakota and kind of what you've seen this year. But first, I want to rewind a little bit because I know, based on what you mentioned earlier, the RV, you've had kind of a a pretty adventurous upland season, I think, and it started earlier this year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to as far as upland birds go? Yeah, well, I mean, we mentioned the the RV earlier, um, you know, when Jane, my wife, said, hey, we should get an RV. I was like, oh, are you kidding? You know, I, I don't really want to deal with setting up and taking down. And she goes, well, I'll tell you what. She goes, let's get an RV and 
in September, we can go west and RV out west all month, most of the month anyway, and bring your dogs and, uh, you know, I'm sorry, she didn't say bring your dogs, but she said you can hunt whenever, wherever you want. <laughs> and, and I'm like, because she did, we didn't have room for the dogs on that trip, but, and I'm like, wow, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so you, so bought, you took, bought that RV the next day. <laughs> yeah. The next day we had it bought, we had it pulled back into our driveway. Um, and so we started planning the trip and, um, you know, I have, an upland game bucket list. I wanted, you know, I really want to score on several, really all the species in North America. Um, you know, I've really focused and grew up with pheasant, but I wanted to expand my uh, my bucket list there. And so, obviously, one of the one of the big ones is sage grouse, um, since they're getting more difficult to find. Um, so I ended up going up into Montana. And um, through uh, through the help of uh, our mutual front front Tyler, uh, was able to find some ground that that held sage grouse, and and I hunted <clears throat> I hunted sage grouse without dogs. It was just Jane and I walking through grass and uh, sage, yeah. and um, uh, we ended up getting uh, I ended up getting two two sage grouse this fall, uh, which was just absolutely a thrill for me when that first one goes down you know you're just like wow and then um yep. we went up to the into the judith mountains of montana and hooked up with um some of our mutual friends up there and uh we were able to uh score some some blue grouse uh up there and that was really fun really fun walks and we were supposed to head west from there to oregon but the fires that we had this summer and the smoke stopped us in Missoula, and we decided to turn around yeah. and say, oh, "Okay, let's let's go hang out in Wyoming for a week or so." And so we ended up going down to Sheraton and Buffalo, Wyoming, and um, through, <laughs> you know, Jane and I, we like to talk to people, right? So um, we met some people in town, and this and that. And one thing led to another, and we ended up getting permission to hunt a couple thousand acres out there for, uh, for Hans and, you know, cool. private land. And, um, so, so we ended up, I ended up getting my first, not only my first couple of Huns, my first, my first Covey, my first Covey rise on Huns, Nick, I got a triple that, that was really cool. That's setting the bar pretty high, Greg. Well, I was just going to say it went down from there, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but we ended up getting a you know a dozen to fifteen huns that week, um, and and that was I'll tell you what I don't know if you've ever done that that wild hun hunt, but the the coveys that get up on you is really exhilarating, and um, they're really fun birds to hunt. I mean I I almost would tell you that I have as much fun hunting those huns as I do when I go pheasant hunting. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I my experience on them has been limited. I've actually talked about it a little bit on the podcast before. I've I've been in hunt country, but the time of year that I go there, according to our mutual buddy Tyler Webster, is not really the ideal hunt hunting time of year. So I got to go out a little bit later, I think, to really kind of see. I've I've seen them in okay. the air and I've seen the covey rise, but it's been pretty limited. But man, they are exciting. That's for sure. Oh, that yeah, and 
the thing that you have to learn, and I'm not a Covey hunter, you know, by by experience, really. But what I have to learn is you really have to pick one out because if you start oh, yeah. just shooting into the Covey, I mean, you're going to miss all of them, you know, so uh, or you get lucky and hit one. But, I, I, you know, when you first see it, it's like you just think you can't miss anything. It's, it's They get up in such a big group. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> the latter of those two scenarios is basically what happened to me. I, I got the one covey of huns that I saw get up was a huge one. It was near, near Tyler's place and he knew about them. And I I mean, even, even I, you know, I had that in my head a little bit, Greg, like, Hey, you know, pick out a bird, don't shoot the covey, but you can't help yourself. Those, those birds got up in front of me and I, I don't even know if I shot once or twice, but I know I did not pick out a bird and I knocked one down, but he was not hit very well. So clearly not a good shot. And, Fortunately, we had a we had a good dog on the on the ground, and she recovered him for me. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 really cool. Well, similar, and we can get into this later, but a similar thing happened to you on the Cronkite farm, also. So uh, we'll we'll talk a little oh, yeah. bit about that later. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, my upland my upland this this fall is probably as good as it's ever been for me personally. So I'm very blessed uh, this year um, on on all the different kinds of birds that I was able to harvest. And then, you know, also just being around people that I've really enjoyed hunting with, you know, it was, it was just a really cool year. You know, I'm not, I'm not wishing for COVID again next fall. Okay. Um, I'm not going there, Yeah, but, um, but there was some positives that came out of it. So I, I'm looking at the silver line in here. Yeah. Well, like you, Greg, I tend to be a, a bit of an optimist and a positive person and i've been able to maintain that i think through this year in large part due to the fact that you know i haven't been hit with challenges that have been you know insurmountable right like i'm still i'm still working i'm still doing i'm still able to hunt which you know i mean i there's a lot of things to be thankful for that i think a a lot of other folks don't have those same luxuries so it's it's easier to stay positive in in that regard but I'll tell you what. I'm curious what 2021 has to offer because I I wasn't I wasn't the guy on the train early that said you know 2020 sucks. But man, as this year has gone on, it's <laughs> we don't need any more <laughs> reminders about how strange of a year 2020's been. No, and I think everybody you know part of what we're seeing now with the rise in cases and whatnot. I I just think people people just kind of got tired. They're, they're just you know what I I did I tried blah 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 and then. You know, people were getting together for Thanksgiving and this and that, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and people just got tired of it. And unfortunately, um, you know, that's part of the deal. What happens is people get infected, and but you know, hey, vaccines on the way. So I think twenty twenty one is going to be a better year uh, for for everybody uh, involved. But I agree with you. You know, twenty twenty, uh, I was affected. You know, in the fact that I. had geographically couldn't do very much but my work involves a telephone and a computer so i can pretty much do that anywhere and and so i was just all systems go you know i want to circle back to the sage grouse actually before we leave that because i had i've recorded a podcast earlier this week it's not out yet but we were talking about sage grouse hunting on there a little bit and you mentioned you went out and did it without dogs which 
I, I've hunted them once, Greg, which I, re, I recanted on this podcast I did earlier this week a little bit. And what I was asking those two guys was when you look out at the sea of the sage, one of them hunts sage grouse a lot and the other doesn't do it so much. So I thought it would be contrasting opinions and I'll, and I'll ask you in, in the same way, because I know you don't, you haven't hunted sage grouse a lot, but when you look out at that sea of sage and you start walking, you know, at least when I was there, I felt like, okay, I have no idea what I'm looking for, but hopefully my dog can get wind of something and sense something. What right. was your approach like, Greg, and how did you end up finding the sage grouse? So, so we had, for our sage grouse hunt, um, we had contrasting uh, habitats. Um, we had about okay. a, section, a section of grass, okay, that was public land. And, um, and then part of the public land right next to the grass was sage. So what we did was hunt the, the edges because we, I don't know, I always had really good luck on edges of everything. And uh, we hunted the yeah. edges of the sage and the grass. And, you know, we had very early in on the walk, I mean, within the first 10 minutes of the walk, we had two sage grouse get up in the sage. Okay, um, and of course they're over by Jane, who doesn't carry a gun, so you know didn't really help Greg very much. But it was it was cool it was cool to see them. You know, I was like, okay, there's actually sage grouse here. That's really cool. And then we ended up walking another hour and a half without seeing a bird. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And we were walking mostly yep. in sage and grass mix. Okay. And then we went back to the car, and Jane was, you know getting tired and she wanted to chill and so i said okay i'll go back out so i ended up hunting the middle of the grass versus the edge of the grass and you know i feel really fortunate to be honest with you to be able to get i did get a i did get i don't even know if sage grouse are called a covey when they get up in a group are they called something else i have no idea i'm not sure it's a good question i don't know yeah but i had probably 15 get up at once Oh wow! And yep. yeah, yeah, and we ended up. I ended up getting one of them. Uh, I'm certain I probably shot in the group as we just talked about. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but then but then you know sage grouse are big birds. I mean they are really big birds, yeah. and they they I saw where they flew and they went over the hill, but kind of like um, a prairie chicken or a sharp tail, you know they they can or they cannot fly a long way they'll they can land you know within several hundred yards of where you flush them if they feel like it and um so i just followed them over the hill and i came up over the hill and there was a bunch of them right there they didn't see me till the last minute and i picked out a real nice one and i I don't know if i sent you pictures but i can send them to you but um so i ended up getting a couple sage that day and i was done and that's how it's done without dogs, I guess. You have to put a lot more, a lot more foot time on on the ground, but um, it can be done. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I think the edge theory, you know, that gets brought up a lot with upland birds, specifically with grouse. And sometimes I wonder about. I think the science would tell you that, and I think I actually heard this recently. You know, when you have an edge of two habitat types, you have an increase in biodiversity in that particular spot because you've got 
you know, different species of vegetation and mm-hmm. animals tend to congregate there. And, and again, I think the science plays it out, but as a, as a bird hunter, I spend most of my time hunting edges or I'm always trying to. So then I, I have mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, I wonder, you know, am I just kind of proving my own theory here? Cause I'm always on the edge, but I think, I think the science would play it out, but I think that would for sure help in the sage grouse hunt, especially without a dog my own mental sanity just to have something, some kind of an objective to key in on and focus on. And that's what I was asking those other two guys, whether it was a water hole or a pothole, because as you know, Greg, that country can look pretty much the same and you can see a long ways too. So in the grouse woods, you never know what's around the next patch of cover, but in in the sage, you feel like, man, if I can't see the birds, I don't know where they are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and 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 the other the other thing that people don't think about um, is the ground itself is really um, not only is it arid but cactusy. So if yeah. you do have yeah. dogs, I mean, it can beat your dog up pretty pretty hard. You know, I was kind of actually glad not to have a dog uh, because you know your your dog is going to get beat up, you know, running around in that stuff, and uh, so you know. I, I don't know that it's going to be my um, number one thing that I'd want to do every year, but I'm I'm really glad that I did it, and I'll do it again. It's it's something that was really fun. It was a really fun hunt. Yeah, yeah, I kind of have the same same opinion as you. Definitely glad I got to see an experience, and it it helps in having conversations like this, and you know, being able to mm-hmm. relate with other folks that maybe it is in their backyard and they do it do it a lot more. I I find that right. enjoyable. Tell me about the hun hunting a little bit. You had your dogs doing that. How did they do? Um, you know what? Uh, this was a trip with not without any dogs. We didn't have room in the RV for the oh, dogs. Okay, your so, dog. Okay. Yeah, I was dogless. Okay. Um, so you know, here's this is an interesting this is interesting conversation because you know as you know we were walking with. I walk with a lot of guys who have pointers, um, and, and we have labs, which are flushing dogs. So although I can tell when my birds get birdie, um, a lot of people can't. And a lot of people who are used to pointing dogs are used to a dog going out, pointing. They walk up. They're ready to go. They know a bird's going to flush. With a flushing yep. dog, you got to be ready all the time, right? You can't – you got to be yep. ready all the time. You got to have your gun in position ready to go all the time. And that actually serves me really well hunting with no dogs, especially for huns, because when that cubby gets, I'm ready. You know, I, I, I'm ready to go. I'm very fast to the shoulder. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting hunting without dogs, but it wasn't that much different than hunting with my dogs because I have flushers. So it's always a surprise flush. Yep, I've 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 seen it now. Being able to hunt with a few more flushers, and and two of those were yours when I spent a couple of days with you a couple of weeks ago. But I've often thought about that in the sense that prior to being, prior to having pointing dogs and hunting grouse with pointing dogs, I hunted grouse without a dog for a long time, and maintaining that one hundred percent readiness was something that I developed and cultivated over a long time, and I still do it for the most part today, even though I have pointing dogs once my dogs get to a certain stage i'm not a i'm not afraid to take a shot at a grouse that gets up that my dog is not involved with so i still kind of do that and there is something to be said about being able to maintain that readiness because if you don't do it a lot i think it can it can get tiring for sure absolutely yeah 
So you, you did your Western trip, and then was it pretty much back to the farm in South Dakota? Right, yeah. So we came back here, South Dakota, get, to get ready for, uh, well, actually, in between, <laughs> we got back to South Dakota for a day, and then I had a a, a two-day antelope hunt in Sheraton, Wyoming, so I shot down there and oh, did, did okay. the antelope hunting, uh, which which is a absolute blast if if you've ever had a ever get a chance to antelope hunt i highly recommend it but um yeah and then came back to the farm and you know we have a a resident season here so you know i was able to get out the the weekend before the opener here and um hunt hunt some birds and then and then just get ready for the for the season you know our group our first group shows up around the 15th of of october and there's nobody knows how much work goes into a farm and a lodge to get things ready. <laughs> it's, I, I often think about yeah. that, like all the food plots that you put in and all the paths that you cut and the, and the grass that you cut. And you know, it's, there's a lot to do. Yeah. What were the expectations like leading up to the season? What had you been seeing in the off season? Any, any habitat work that you were really interested to see how it played out? What were you, what were you looking at leading up well, to it? Uh, you, you know, it all it all comes down to habitat, and it all comes down to weather for for good for good yeah. breeding season. Um, so, you know, we we have created a great habitat out here. We've planted four to six hundred acres of of tall wheat grass out here over the last three or four years, and you saw the results of that, Nick. The the really tall grass that we've got all over the place. That that's just brand new grass that we just started growing in the last couple of years. And but you know we had some really difficult winters out here two three years ago and a couple of years in a row and really knocked the population down. And then last winter we had a mild winter and we had a picture perfect spring. So our our hatch I had very high expectations for our hatch and uh, you know as it, it proved to be. You know what? It proved to be just about as good as I'd hoped. You know, as far as the hatch goes. Yeah. And uh, you know that was that was pretty exciting. So so the the pheasant hunting out here was was very positive, very good. You know, it's not back to the numbers we had uh, going back to 2014-15. I would say, which was which actually kind of ridiculous the amount of birds that we had here back then. But yeah. um, it's still it's still really really good. Yeah, when I was out there, the things that were going through my mind were I'm very analytic and I'm always trying to compare. I'm trying to get a, an apples to apples comparison and figure it out. So I was asking you questions about bird numbers and and what you had seen and what you felt it was like, mainly because I saw what I saw spending a couple of days with you this year, but I have nothing to compare to. You know, that was my really right. my first time spending time on a you know on a farm in South Dakota and I to me I mean there were birds everywhere <laughs> like it, it looked it looked like there were right. birds everywhere and I know I had been to a preserve before and I had seen that kind of a thing wholly unlike your farm where you've got all wild birds you've got habitat that's sustaining these birds and you know I knew that it was a good year going into it from what you had said but it was it was really neat to see the country the topography it's beautiful that when I the first time I drove the, out that way for hunting a couple of years ago, just 
around that around that river country. I mean, it's just beautiful. The topography mm-hmm. and you've, you've got wide open landscapes and the way the sun shines off the hillsides. Like that is right. that is some very beautiful country in a place where some people would uh, stoop as low as calling it flyover country. <laughs> Yeah, what well, you know, it is. It's it's funny. It looks from the air because I, I I fly as well, and from the air it looks very flat. But as you know, when you get out here, it's we've got a lot of undulations. I tell people if they've watched the movie Dances with Wolves, you know that captures the hills that we have out here pretty well in that movie. It's it's rolling grass is what a lot of it is, and. Um, you know, uh, where the buffalo used to roam and this and that. So, and then, oh, by the way, we put some food out for birds too. <laughs> so, you know, you've got a lot of habitat yeah, yeah, and you've yeah. got a lot of food and, 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 you know, it equals, it equals good bird populations. And it's interesting when you, when you tell me you, you thought you saw a lot of birds, you know, and this and that. And, and we right. did, we saw a lot of, we saw a lot of birds, but you know, like that first walk that we took along those, those trees in that mild, tree patch that the first walk we didn't get very many birds out of there and i think we got one or two roosters maybe a half a dozen hens but they're you know but when we got into them we got into them you know they were they were pretty grouped up so back in the day you could have walked that tree line and pushed out 50 birds okay sure it yeah it's 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 interesting the perspective people have. Yeah, and I, I had my my eyes wide open because I knew that it was it was nothing I'd ever experienced before, and I was I was taking it all in. And we were lucky; we had, I mean, gorgeous hunting weather. The sun was shining; it was relatively warm, just you know, just warm enough as you got walking. We actually we got a little warm in in one of the afternoons. I think we were there, but yeah, it was a heck of a heck of a first pheasant hunt for me. And that was I I'd mentioned it on here before, but that was my legitimate first pheasant hunt and uh it was a blast greg so i i I thank you again for hosting me on that no that was cool it's great to have you out nick it's it's always a pleasure to have people out especially people who've never um never experienced it so that was really fun was do you know do you happen to know if was dances with wolves was that filmed in south dakota i i have not seen that movie for a long time i might need to I need to fire that up again. Yeah, watch, watch it again. I've watched it a bunch of times just because I like the movie, but it was actually filmed, you know, inside of 100 miles from our farm. So, I mean, it was up filmed up near Fort Pier, just west of Fort Pier, Pier. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of that was filmed right there. Cool. Hey, did you ever happen to, this is kind of a random side note, but we were talking about books when I was out there, and I was curious if you'd ever, if you recall the name of those game warden books that you had been reading because i i dove into a couple of outdoor books since i visited you and now you got me thinking about that again yeah no is a cj box is the author and um it's about a game like a cardboard box yes Mm -hmm. i'll make a note here to shoot you a link to to that but it's a series of of books about a game warden in montana i think or wyoming or one of those two states, and so you, you'd you'd appreciate it because they talk a lot about the topography of, you know, places that you've been. Oh, yeah. So yeah, they're pretty interesting. Yeah, I enjoy that. I'm I'm currently well. I just finished this book called I'm blank, and there's three of them. There's Big Red, there's Outlaw Red, and I'm missing the first one. It's about Irish setters, and my wife's grandfather. He passed away a few years ago, but he gave me this book before he passed away. And he's, you know, he just kind of said he, he, 
we shared a common interest in hunting and he knew that about me. And he said, I think you would mm-hmm. like this book. And I kind of looked at the book and there was, there was a picture of a mountain lion on the back of it and okay. put it on the shelf. And, and I never really, I didn't look at it again for a few years and I just kind of, I didn't write it off, but it's just, you know, again, it books, books on the shelf. Well, then I finally picked it up after i think it was after just talking to you about some books when when i was out there and i came home and i started reading this thing and i dove in and wouldn't you know this book was about grouse dogs and rough grouse hunting like way more than i could have imagined and i just kind of smiled wow. just knowing that my my wife's grandpa he, you know he he knew me well enough to know that i would like that book and then i, oh, I bought the cool. other couple so i've been i've been tearing through some books lately <laughs> yeah shoot me a link on that one for sure man um I'd like to read that. I'll tell you, I, I love to read and, um, you know, uh, a classic and we could talk about this the whole show, but a classic is, uh, pheasants of the mind. Uh, that's a, that's just a classic book. If you should grab that one, really? it, just a lot of, it's a bunch of short stories about pheasant hunting. And so that really okay. touched me as a pheasant hunter. Um, and then honestly, man, if you, if you like those kinds of books, anything that Ernest Hemingway wrote, you're going to like. So, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've got the entire series of books that he wrote and it's just, they're great. They're great, great books. So I've got a, my wife actually has a couple of books and she's always pushing them on me and I, I, I haven't spent enough time with Hemingway. So I'll, uh, I'm writing that down as a, as a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. He was a big hunter and fisherman and, you know, and he was, yeah. you know, he wrote about being in wars and, you know, of course, Old Man in the Sea. And, you know, I mean, he's got just yeah. so many classics. Um, I used to, as a deer hunter, I used to bring one of his books up in the stand and do a lot of reading, you know. Probably why I didn't shoot that many deer yeah. back in the day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I I recall, I actually recall... Before I shot a buck a couple of years ago, that's not my biggest. It was my biggest buck. It's nothing, nothing uh, to brag home about, but it's a. Uh, it was a nice eight point buck, and at the time, I was I was pretty jazzed up about it, and I still am. I, I am looking at his antlers right now, but I remember it was a beautiful opening morning in Minnesota. I was sitting in the tree stand, and I was so happy. I used, I mean, I love reading in the deer stand when it's warm enough that I'm not freezing, and yep. I just remember being like mid page and. I, out of the corner of my eye, I look to my left, and here's this buck sneaking along this swamp. And I, I would have been able to see him for probably the previous, you know, eighty to a hundred yards. But I was so buried, buried in this book that he nearly got by me. But I was fortunately able to put my book down quietly enough and got the gun and ended up putting a bullet through him. Oh man, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're quiet enough, sitting there reading a book is, you know, and unplug from the technology and. And just kind of right, get some right. alone time. It's great. It's that's the one thing I do like about deer hunting. Um, I I do have uh, I got a muzzleloader tag this year, and it's the first time I've gotten one in South okay. Dakota. So so I I've already harvested a deer with my rifle tag, but I'm out muzzleloading, you know, now. So um, it's kind of fun, and we've had beautiful weather here. So like last night, the I get out there hopefully around four o'clock, and I've got an hour and 20 minutes of light and I just sit on a hill in the grass and watch the world go by. It's, it's beautiful. Have you had a muzzle loader for a while or did you just go out and buy one? I'm, I'm personally interested in this. Yeah, I, I've had a muzzle loader for 15 or 20 years. Um, it's an okay. inline have not shot a muzzle loader for over 10 years. It's been sitting in my, in my little, uh, 
my little gun room there. And, uh, you know, I, I had to get it out and make sure it was cleaned well and that it operated and that it was, it was, uh, targeting well. And so I did all that kind of stuff. It was kind of fun to get back into it, man. It was, it's kind of a fun, a fun way to hunt, you know? I mean, you're, you're at, at least I feel uncomfortable outside of 150 yards, I'd say would be my max. So, and out, and out here, you, you, you know, it's not like the big woods of Minnesota or Wisconsin out here, you know, you could see for thousands of yards, um, so yeah. you and they can see you, by the way, for thousands of yards. So it's yep. <laughs> it's a whole different strategy out here. You know, there's the spot and stock thing is is for real. It's fun. It really is fun. Yeah, and that's that's really what's got me thinking about it because I have been, you know, I've been a a rifle deer hunter for a long time. I don't deer hunt a lot, but I I I get excited about it every year and I enjoy it and I enjoy the deer camp tradition that. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with that we have kind of in this part of the world, but mm-hmm. every deer I've shot has been under a hundred yards. And what I've been seeing lately, especially with my family cabin over in Wisconsin now, the the rifle season over there, it's pretty chaotic. I mean, there's people everywhere, and that's I think that's part of rifle gun season in Wisconsin. The deer are getting pushed around and moved, and there's people doing deer yep. drives, and it's wild. And it's just the more and more I kind of look at it and assess it it's just not really my style i rather would just kind of sit in the woods quietly by myself and with these muzzle loaders i know they've been improved and they're getting better and i'm just i'm back out in the woods grouse hunting now during the wisconsin muzzle loader season and you know there's hardly anybody in the woods so i just think that would be more my style so i'm kind of looking at that for possibly next year i i think you'd have a blast with it uh and especially since you guys really don't get more than 100 yard shots so that i mean that's a perfect muzzle no. loader distance you know yeah. you, you could set up for that and i think you'd be in really good shape but it's really it's really fun man i mean i, I agree with you though i am not into big group hunting even pheasant hunting you know a lot of yeah a lot of lodges out here do the big corporate hunts and you, you know when you and i hunted together what do we have three or four hunters um in the whole yeah group? we had we had um, four hunters yeah and to me, you know, that's that's a nice size. I, I really like that. And we and we try and limit that here on the Cronkite Farm to you know no more than eight. You know, and that's it. I don't I don't go over eight guys. Um, and frankly, when I hunt, most of my hunting's done just myself and maybe with one other person. You know, so that's to yeah. me the 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 fun the fun way to go. Yeah, that was uh, definitely something I enjoyed about it, it, that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a huge group of people and you could keep track of everybody and keep track of the dogs and the way the landscape and some of the cover cover lays out, you know, we had some, we had some really, really nice hunts with, with that small group of people. Yeah. Why don't you tell everybody about your, um, prairie chicken and sharp tail hunting out here? Well, that's what I, that was, uh, you, you just segued for me because i was going to ask you about the about the prairie chicken and sharp tail season because as as you well know when i was headed out there i've got this at the time she was i think she turned six months old when i was at mm-hmm. your farm so she was okay she was five months and change and in my head i'm thinking you know i've never pheasant hunted i know the covers thicker and tougher and i know they really really like to run and i've got this young pointing dog and you know, I don't know what she's going to do, but gosh, if there were some sharp tails around, 
you know, I know they're supposed to be grouped up and they're skittish this time of year, but maybe, maybe, just maybe we could get get one pointed and that would be cool for the pup. And you had told me that you were seeing more sharp tails than you'd seen in, in really like your 10 years of owning the farm. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. You know, sharp tails and, and prairie chickens are indigenous to this area. You know, they weren't introduced like pheasants. Yep. And uh, they know how to get through winters. And and when we have a really nice winter and spring, they, they explode. Um, and so this year we had that. And I have I have seen and harvested more sharp tails and, and prairie chickens this year than I have uh, it, uh, since I've owned the farm. It's been there. If you want to go, if you want to go hunt those two species, it's a great year to do it. You you, you got a good chance of being successful. Yeah. Had you hunted sharp tails or chickens much at all previous to this year? I, I, I do every year, but it's more of an incidental to pheasant hunting. So, you know, yeah. they, I will find them in the same covers as, as pheasant hunting, and a sharp tail may get up here and there. The, the other way we have done it when we've just gone for sharps is we find out where they're feeding, and they're very religious about going back to the same field, it seems like, for a long period of time. So when you find out where they're feeding, they come in at, in groups to feed, uh, and you kind of set up for them like you would a dove hunt, uh, on a fence row or, you know, in some cover, wait for yep. them to fly over your head because you, you, you find out where they where they roost and then you find out where they feed and you just kind of get between them. And that can be a lot of fun too. You're just waiting for some passing shots. And I think we had you guys do that one one time, right? Yep. We actually, we tried it one night. We, myself and Chet and Will, we, we lined up on the fence row and it, I should say, I was going to say it nearly worked, but I should say the plan did work, Greg. You had the birds dialed in to the point where you knew where they were coming from, you knew where they were going, and we were in the right spot. And while we were sitting on the fence row, I had some birds come near me. I didn't shoot at any. Chet got an opportunity, but I like to think of that evening as uh, it was the perfect excuse to sit on that high hillside and look west, basically into the sunset. And uh, it was one heck of a November evening, that's for sure. God, it was beautiful that night. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually, when we got, when we snuck in there, we were, we didn't know exactly what time the sharptails were going to start coming into the field. But when we got in there, I think you spotted a flock of about, 10, 15 sharptails that came down and landed in that cut sunflower feed. And we actually walked up on those and there had to have been probably 60 to 70 sharptails in there. And they took that was a big group of sharptails, man. <laughs> that was a, that was <laughs> yeah, a big group of sharptails. So the one thing I kept commenting on, I, I was commenting on when those, those big groups of sharptails, cause I've, I've used to seeing a little bit more like the, you know, the ones, twos, and I've been, in September, I've been pretty close to some groups of 10 to 15 where they get up and you can hear them. But when a big group of sharp tails like that takes to wing, just the air the air movement that you can hear from their wings was just astonishing to me. It was really cool. Oh, that's yeah, that's that that is really really cool. And and you know they you can he, they do have a different sound to them when they are flying versus a pheasant. Um, so it's. It's, yes, I don't know. I think they're fun. I I I actually really really enjoy going out for sharp tails, and it's a little bit more difficult with my 
flushing dogs. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're really made for what you had. You have an English setter, right? Yep. English setter. And, uh, yeah, they're made more for a point, in my mind, if you're going to be a purist, they're made more for a pointing dog in a big grass field or a grassy knoll or whatever, and going out and sniffing them out and pointing and going up and shooting. But we figured, us flushing guys figured out how to hunt them a little bit too, so we've done pretty well with them. So. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's that's I mean, hey, you you know where the birds live, you can you can go and hunt them any which way and you've got the advantage there. And when I come out in early season in September and I all I have is grass in front of me and nowhere to go, I rely on my dogs to help me out. So, for sure. For sure. No, but that was that was a lot of fun. I mean, to get to see some different kinds of hunting and and again, I don't know if that would be the same everywhere. We pretty much saw your property. You did uh you put us into some public walk-in access nearby which we went to and we found sharptails and pheasants. Um uh, so that was fun to hunt a little bit of a uh, publicly accessible South Dakota land too. Right. But just the way that, that your property is set up with the grass and then the really specific tree rows and milo strips, uh, just, again, back to that those edges and the biodiversity, I mean, it's all there. So it was, it was really no surprise to see the birds where we did. Yeah. No, it's, we've, we've spent a lot of our, a lot of people spend their time around here trying to figure out how to make more money on their ground. How do they get an extra row of corn in or whatever? Like I'm the opposite. I I try and figure out how to how do I create more habitat in this piece of ground, you know? Um and yeah. Certainly, I mean money comes into play cuz you got to pay your taxes and but I I get a lot more pleasure out of out of figuring out how do we make this, you know, a world uh, world class um breeding and hunting place for for wild uh, upland birds. Yeah. I and I should say that you know, hunting the walk-in access, the public stuff, it was, I actually enjoyed that experience because I got to see a piece of ground that I appreciated the fact that it was, you know, private land open to public access and there were birds there, but it was nothing like your property, which has been cultivated and managed for bird habitat. And that was evident in both the cover and the bird numbers. So it was good to see those, you know, kind of contrasting and really see what, you know, a property owner can do if they're interested in doing so. And, you know, it's kind of the whole, if you build it, they will come like that was, that was so evident in, in walking around your farm, Greg. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, and that, that is really interesting that you're, you're very observant, sir. Um, that, that is very interesting. <laughs> well, no, I mean, cause you were, you were hunted in the pilot, in the, in the, in the public land, you yep. know, we've got some really, we've got some really good public land here. Right. We, uh, I actually still hunt public land once in a while. Number one, just so I can see something besides my own ground. Right. I, I just like to go out yeah. and, and hunt something different. And then the other thing is when you harvest something there, you know, you feel like you won, you know, it's not like, uh, you're not seeing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not seeing 10 flushes every 20 minutes. I mean, it's, you, you work for that flush, right? So you feel like yep. you feel like you accomplished something. So anyway, I still even do that. Having having the farm we have here, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that was uh, again. I I was super appreciative to be able to see and experience it. And I you know I was just talking to Tyler Webster earlier this week actually, and I know that he was just hanging out at your farm a little bit, and we talked about how how much fun both of us had at different times down in that part of the world, and we talked about 
next year trying to trying to plan a trip there basically just due to some of the public lands that you've got nearby you've right. got the opportunity of course on your farm so yeah i'm i'm really excited to to revisit the south dakota upland bird hunting and to kind of put a bow on my little trip there i was again i walked away from it with uh getting to spend some time with you and we've realized that we had even more in common than we than we thought you know with our right. uh, our passion for books and and bulldogs hockey and upland right. hunting uh but i got to shoot my first wild pheasants my six-month-old puppy at the time she did point her first rooster she pointed her first sharp tail i missed a sharp tail which i was heartbroken over but it was a uh, all in all a hell of a hell of a trip at cronkite farm yeah well hey t- tell tell your puppy to get used to it man when you miss something like that you know <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> I, I i missed greg i i was out hunting last night actually and i actually just i got a gopro because again i was talking to tyler and i was ready to dive back into the world of GoPros and start experimenting with a little bit of this just as a way to kind of capture some of these moments that happen in the field. And so I'm wearing this GoPro and I go out and my puppy, she points a grouse. I walk in. It was the ideal scenario. It doesn't happen this way all the time, but she went on point. She never moved. I walked all the way in. I saw her on point. It looked like a spot where there was a grouse. If he was there, he was caught. I mean, it was pretty open. Yeah. And so I circled around in front of her, and sure enough, this grouse takes off about as open of a shot as you're going to get on a rough grouse, and bang, bang, missed him twice. He kept flying, and I, you know, I hang my head as I always do. It's a regular occurrence to miss a rough grouse. Well, I, I felt I was kind of like, how did I miss that gun? I just assumed I made a bad gun mount, and I may have. But when I got home and I was reviewing the footage, I couldn't believe it. But there was hardly any trees in the way. But I shot when the grouse. I shot too quick when he was going behind this first tree, and you can mm-hmm. see in the video I got a really big piece of this first tree. And then my second shot was not nearly as good. And, but I shot again when this girl was behind two trees. So wow, it looked like he was flying through the wide open, but sure enough, I shot be- when he was behind about the only two trees he could have gone behind. <laughs> Sounds more like it should be a cat that just lost two of its lives, man. You know, I mean, that, that's a, that's a lucky ass grouse, <laughs> exactly. isn't it? <laughs> wow. I'd like to think so, but I've I've seen myself shoot enough. It's it is amazing to me that you can, you know, send a pattern of shot out there, and you like to think that it's this effective thing, but boy, you can really put it in the wrong spot. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what, though, I, as much as I shoot and have shot over the years, and and I like to tell you, Nick, I'm an old guy, you know, compared to you, but you know, <laughs> I've shot a lot of birds and I've shot a lot of shotguns, and I consider myself an okay shot, not. I'm not in Tyler Webster's, you know, lofty uh, abilities because that guy is unbelievable. <laughs> but I'm I'm a pretty good shot, and I can't believe some of the birds that I miss that get up like yeah. right next to me, and they just happen to go the right way, or you know, or whatever. I I just it's amazing. I always, and this is a really sad commentary because you almost remember the ones you miss sometimes more than the ones that you get. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, you should let that go, Greg, just let it go. You know, (laughs) it's hard to do. (laughs) That resonates with me because I'll tell you what, that last morning we were there and I missed that sharp tail that my little puppy pointed. I was thinking about that my entire 10 hour drive home, Greg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
No, man, it was cool. And we'll definitely get you. We're going to get you and hopefully AJ out next year and, you know, chat yeah. and, and we'll get a nice little group going here and um, we can use the lodge as a base and we could do some public land stuff and, and do the Cronkite farm stuff. And, you know, it, might, it would be a nice fun hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we wrap this up, Greg, we definitely want to talk a little bit about Dakota 283. And I'd like to uh, have you give us just a little bit of an update. We We kind of touched on 2020 being a challenging year yep. earlier this year so maybe maybe give us a give us a sense of kind of if you've if you've had any speed bumps in the road and then yep. got a new website got a new look for dakota 283 got some exciting stuff going on yeah sure thanks nick um yeah i mean we're listen uh this is as i said earlier this has been a weird year but it's it's been really difficult to launch new products this year because one of the ways we do that is through trade shows well guess what all the trade yeah. shows were canceled and and even going into 21 as you know shot show yep. in vegas was canceled uh in january pheasant fest was canceled in february you know and it's we're just kind of saying okay wh- what do we do next how do we how do we promote and what do we how do we get in front of people and people are going to see more and more products come out from us that are not only kennel but tailgate related so, you know, we're excited to expand products and, and we've been working diligently to do that. Awesome. Well, in the in the world of the Dakota 283 kennel, we've still got the G3 kennel. That's the kennel that the Upland Bird Hunter would be looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that we've kind of got in the pipeline, do you want me to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, as, as much uh, as you would like to disclose. But yeah, if there's anything we want folks to be kind of looking forward to in 2021, let's hear it. Yeah, so... You know, we're, you know, I think I mentioned this to you before, but we, we are, we continue to work on the G4. So the next, yeah. um, the next generation of, of our, of our kennel, we're hoping for a, uh, first quarter calendar year quarter launch on that. We are working on a forever insert for, uh, and you're familiar with the, for those who don't know what a forever insert is. We have an insert that goes into the medium G3s right now. So when you buy a puppy, you can buy this insert and you could put this insert in. It creates smaller spaces for puppies because puppies really like to be in smaller kennels. So uh, what it allows you to do is buy the puppy's forever kennel because they have an insert that will collapse and grow with the size of the puppy. So we did that with the with the mediums. And it's done really well. I mean, breeders love it because now they can recommend a kennel with this insert that people can buy one time and they don't have to buy different size kennels as the puppy grows so or crates. So that's done so well. We're going to come out with a uh, an insert for the large and the extra large uh, units. So the forever insert cool. is going to expand uh, its breadth. You know, we're looking at things like accessories. You know, we, we hope to come out with our own uh, insulated cover for the winter. We hope to come out with uh, our own uh, dog pad for our for our kennels and our own ratchet straps. Cool. So those are the three accessories we're we're looking at right now. The other thing that we've been asked to do by a lot of people that I feel is really important. We've done a lot of internal testing on our crates, especially for impact, and we've we've had actual rollovers um you know nate achy right you're friends with nate or you've met hunted with nate yep anyway nate had an actual rollover with his truck with a dakota and everybody was safe and sound especially the dog 
inside the yeah. kennel. So we've had a couple of those kinds of events. But what we're trying to do early next year is we're building a lot of our own testing equipment that could be recordable data. So I think this is going to be real important for those people who are data driven out there to see how our to you know to see how our kennels actually perform from a impact and a data perspective. So we hope to be able to share those numbers uh, with everybody here in the first quarter as well. And we've got a bunch of other things kind of in the concept stage right now, but um, we're going to continue to, yeah. to innovate. And, you know, honestly, man, I mean, a lot of these ideas come from, from people who buy our products and, and frankly, friends of Dakota, like, you know, Nick, you've come up with some, some thoughts on what you'd like to see in your, on the next generation. And, and we take that stuff seriously, man. I mean, we we really like to try and develop things that people want in their kennels. Yep, definitely appreciate that. And I think I think folks appreciate getting somebody like you on, Greg. You know, the you're at the head of the company and you're listening and you're talking to the Project Upland audience. So I think that's that's pretty evident. And on that note, where should folks go to? First, learn more about Dakota 283. Check out the kennels. Check out the products and then beyond that, if they, let's say they do have some feedback or some thoughts, what should they do in that case? Okay. So, um, the shameless plug, right? Here we go. (laughs) Um, yes, yes. Um, so to find out more about Dakota 283, just go to com. People can reach me at greg at goodideasinc.com. Good Ideas is the parent company to, um, to Dakota. Those are the two places you can get a hold of us, you know, and if uh, we do take some, Nick, I'll throw this into, we do take some paid hunts out at the Cronkite farm. So, um, we have yep. mostly repeat business, but once in a while we have a, a hunt open up. We only take six or seven hunts a year and then we shut it off. But if you want to reach out to me or take a look at the farm, it's, uh, www.cronkitefarm.com. Perfect, man. I'll I'll consider that a wrap. I want to thank you very much for joining us on the Project Upland podcast again. And I I said it before, but I'll say it again, Greg. Appreciate you having me and Chet and and us out there to Crown Kite Farms in November. It was an absolute blast, and I'm looking forward to, to hopefully paying you another visit there. I hope uh, hope the rest of 2020 goes well for you and really excited about 2021 for you and Dakota. Nick, it is my pleasure, sir, and you are more than welcome to come back, but it comes with a price, and the, the price is going to be I've got to get my first roughed grouse, and I am going to hit you up this fall to try and get that done. Consider it a done deal, buddy. Okay. All right, bud. All right. Thanks again. Yep. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. All right. See you, Nick. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. Quick reminder that this episode was brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA Shotguns, Gumleaf USA, Dog Trick Collars, ESP Hearing Protection, Trinity Kennels, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to visit projectupland.com to read, watch, and listen to more great upland hunting content. And please, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, leave the podcast a rating and a review that really helps us out and it helps more people find the show. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Up and Podcast.
Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.